Hey everybody, this is Mo, and Pow is joining me today um, on this lovely episode of the Fixed Astrology Podcast to talk about the planetary joys of Venus. Um, and <laughs> now that Venus is in Taurus, uh, we felt like after a series of, you know, Mercury retrograde related delays that what better time to record this episode than when, you know, you know, the planet of beauty, the arts and pleasure is in her preferred domicile. So yeah. Yeah, I think this is a good segue into the current astro weather too, because well, actually, yeah, in first, just to address the delays. Yes, Mo and I had a number of just Mercury retrograde, like classic delays that we kept we kept putting the schedule, like we kept scheduling this recording on our calendars, just like, every other weekend and for whatever reason things just got delayed and i don't know about you but this mercury retrograde for me was very very like classic tech breakdowns misschedulings miscommunications all that kind of stuff yeah for me just because i switched into the mercury perfection literally like a month ago I have noticed a profound difference. I was like, oh, Mercury retrograde will be fine. No, it wasn't. There was just so much, you know, not working, you know, people double booking, uh, which is part of the reason why, you know, we had to reschedule this episode so many times. Um, just classical, like, things not working out and, like, you know, other things in my life coming up. So, like, this is a fourth house, like, transit for me. And so the question of, you know, my living situation and what's going on with that, like quite literally having an internet outage, <laughs> like, like it was like for two different weekends for different reasons. So one of them was because of a storm, like that came through like Southern Ontario. And even though like the power was fine, the internet was not, <laughs> mm -hmm. so even if I wanted to like, it was just not working. And then for some reason, the internet service provider was having more issues the following weekend. So it, it was just weird. And I did yeah. not enjoy it. It was a second house transit for me. And it was, I think one of the biggest things that had happened to me was my, so I had to get a new bank when I moved here to New York. And I still have my old bank in Hawaii. And before I left there, they said, oh, all you have to do is just um, email us and reach out to us saying you want to close your account. It's like not that hard. Like you don't have to fill out any forms. And then I've been calling and calling and calling and like just never got a call back or is not getting through to a person. And when I finally got through to a person at the end, it was because they were calling me because um, I had a transaction that bounced because all my money was in my savings now and not me checking because all my, you know, new paychecks are going into my current account like here in New York. Anyway, so they call me finally, but it's only because there's a problem with my account. I'm like, well, now that I finally have you on the phone, can you tell me how to close this account? And then they're like, oh, you actually had to have to fill out a form. It's so annoying. I know. I know. So lame. <laughs> That's extremely disrespectful. Like, you know what? Actually, there were some things like that that came up for me, uh, mostly in the context of... Um, like the whole like us moving to a new animal facility for you know some aspects of my graduate research it's like oh like we changed this that and the other and it was hard to get a hold of 
you know, the person in question who was supposed to show us how like new things that they put in worked, or it was um, us going to like the person who's in charge of like, you know, the facilities and um, operations of the building saying like, hey, this thing isn't working properly. And then just kind of gaslighting us and saying, yeah, no, like it's not right. And all of a sudden now that we're in the shadow period, we get an email like, hey, so apparently like there actually is something wrong with this machine. And now you have to fill out this form so that like, we can talk to the uh, manufacturer about either whether it's a matter of you guys misusing the machine or the machine just being faulty. But it's like, I get the impression that whoever is running the building doesn't know how to use the machine either. So, <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. I, I know the astrology this past month was rough just because with the mix of Mercury retrograde and the knee eclipses, whereas... June's, you know, relatively quiet. And I, I do think, and I think, again, like you said, like not only we're doing this Joy of Venus episode today and Venus is in Taurus, so that's nice. But I do think a lot of the astrology this month does, you know, center around Venus because she's in domicile, but she's also squaring Saturn and then she's there in Taurus with Uranus and the North Node. So... Um, it's not like the coziest Venus, but it's still a Venus in domicile, right? So. Yeah, I mean, I've been seeing a lot of um, different takes on, you know, Saturn and Venus being an aspect to one another. And <sighs> I mean, it's not the best time for Venus, but I still feel like Venus being in a place where she's empowered has a say in what happens. It's just it's one of those uh, unstoppable force, immovable object things where, you know, both planets like Saturn has a lot of power and influence. Venus has a lot of power and influence, but, you know, just because um, Saturn has a better vantage point, uh, there may be some Saturnian things that do uh, take precedent. And uh, I feel like, you know, as we get towards, I think it's like what next week when they finally square off, if not the end of this week, when they finally square off um, or something yeah. like that. I, yeah, I think you're, I think it is the, I, I'm really losing track of time, but yeah, I think it is the end of this week that they're finally going to like, like exactly square off. Hold on, I'm checking. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like end of this week. Yeah, end of this week, early next week that whole um, tension is there and um, it's also Venus on Algol versus uh, you know Saturn on Dena Balgetti and if you know people who study star lore apparently the energies of those two stars do not jive very well so um, if you are in say a Capricorn Aquarius um Taurus or Libra perfection, or you just have placements in those, like, especially like in late Taurus, late Aquarius, or just late fixed signs in general. Uh, just hold your hat a bit. It, it's like a rough end to Gemini season in that regard, but at least, you know, Mercury is like having a nice aspect with Jupiter while that's happening. Yeah, I, I guess, I mean, even for me so far, it's been, so Venus rules my first house and my sixth house, and it is transiting then my first house, and 
So things with my body will constantly come up, which includes physical activity, which people will normally think of Mars. And and Mars does is involved for sure in various types of physical um, fitness. But I, I went, I I, like yesterday when Venus and Uranus was like getting close to, um, you know, conjoining exactly. I tried a Muay Thai class for the first time and which is, is definitely Mars and Aries as well. And we will talk about these Mars, these Aries transits in a bit too. But, um, but for me, I think it's also very much Venus because I think I've, I think where I'm at with this month with this Venus and Taurus is like on one hand, I feel super, super ready to like get fit and like kind of be really comfortable with my body. But on the other hand, there are like a lot of obstacles. Some of it's just like a lot of work travel I've been having to do. And some of it too is just like trying to find the gym that's like the right fit for me. Anyway, I did, I did Muay Thai yesterday. It was really, really fun. I had a good time. And then like, as soon as I stepped outside of the gym, I got like the worst calf cramp right when I was like walking onto the bus and it, it just caused such a scene on the bus. Cause I looked like physically like in pain. <laughs> oh no. Like, is it, is it better today? Yeah. It was one of those like Charlie horse cramps where, you know, it's like, Oh, I know this isn't like an injury, but it's like, it feels like the most painful thing I've ever experienced. <laughs> Yeah, and I like literally just felt that empathic, like Charlie horse in my calf, like oh, <laughs> yeah, no. Um, I feel like for me, uh, Venus Uranus has just been like, well, because Venus rules my eighth house, just me draining my bank account, no big deal. <laughs> I mean, on things that like, I mean, some of this is Mars in the second house too. Like, I'm not gonna lie, but um, I don't know. It's just been like me engaging in like retail therapy a little bit and it's it's been nice that I'm like I know I'm gonna regret this later and you know what that's that's okay um the weird thing I've been noticing is um because Saturn is an aspect with my sixth house ruler and you know eventually Venus will catch up and um I mean even though Mars is a verse it's like um it's uh transiting Mars is gonna hit the trine with my sixth house Mars um Mm. I've like one of my cats has been a bit sick and she actually threw up again today and i'm like what's going on with you (laughs) you know my cat actually is an aries uh but i don't think mars has hit her son yet so i i'm just like kind of watching out like "Mm, what's going on with you that that doesn't like look good (laughs) yeah well oh i hope i hope your cat feels better um but that does make me remind me, yeah, we should definitely talk about Jupiter and Aries and Mars and Aries because that's going to continue <laughs> and is very, very, I, I found it to be quite loud, but it's all for me, it's also my Jupiter return. Yeah, and I don't know, like, I know everybody was like, Jupiter and Aries is so great. I'm, I'm not feeling that. <laughs> person, like... I'm really not feeling that like it's I I, and I hate to be that person but I I felt a lot better when Jupiter was in uh, Pisces actually despite Neptune being there kind of ruining stuff I just feel like now that Mars is in charge of their um, extended co-presence it's just been Jupiter kind of amplifying whatever Mars wants to do there's just been you know, a lot of conflict, a lot of people being very angry and hostile. Like it's, 
<laughs> yeah, and I'm not really um, enjoying the um, enjoying the transit, especially because you know uh, I feel like Jupiter is a planet that has so much to do with our relationship to beliefs and things like that, and I feel like there's just been a lot of instances of people you know, being very antagonistic about like, you know, what's worth believing in versus not. And uh, now that Mars is separating, it's a lot better. But, um, you know, during that like Mars-Jupiter uh, conjunction period, like I think that was like Memorial Day weekend or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It just, it just felt uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, it's it's been the same for me, but it's also a 12th house transit for sure. Um, I think the stuff for, you were just saying around just like people kind of just being more angry, you know, and just, you know, that, that kind of that Mars Aries association. Like I was just listening to a podcast yesterday that the U.S. Surgeon General was on, I guess, as Surgeon General, he has like a lot of concerns around the epidemic of loneliness and he was descri- he was saying that loneliness tends to like the way it's portrayed in the media is like usually when you think of a lonely person you see someone who's just kind of sad and morose and to themselves but he was saying yeah loneliness especially in men manifests mostly as anger <laughs> and yeah I, I i just been thinking I, that's just kind of a thought that's just been floating around in my mind since jupiter has been in aries but again this is a very much a 12th house transit for that's me. hilarious because you know jupiter is a planet of friendship and you know mars you know does rule like men masculinity masculine aligned things if you want to take that point of view um, so I thought that that was funny that, you know, he was um, talking about <laughs> the epidemic of um, male loneliness. So that's that's pretty funny. Yes, yes. And then in terms of other trends, we talked, the, uh, we didn't really talk, we, we talked about Mercury retrograde, but we have not talked about Mercury now direct and returning back to Gemini tomorrow. Well, tomorrow of this recording, it'll already be in Gemini by the time this airs. Yeah, and I'm really excited for that. Um, It's time to stop, you know, brooding over details, uh, which I find Mercury and Earth signs is want to do. Especially that last decade of Taurus, God. (laughs) Yeah, and so I feel like the way I've been talking about this with clients is, you know, when Mercury stations direct but doesn't quite catch Saturn and then Saturn decided to turn the other direction, it's like, if you thought you were going to get closure from a situation by like going over all the worst case scenarios and coming up with possibilities for how you could um, stabilize a thing that's not working, uh, the fact that the other person or, you know, the Saturnian entity in that situation has turned to do their own review because that Saturn uh, in that last decade of Aquarius is trying to purge. It's not trying to salvage anything. (laughs) Um, It's, it's time to move on. Um, basically. And I feel like, you know, when Mercury goes back into Gemini, you know, AKA the, the sign of the curse of knowing, um, it's time to, you know, get back out there and explore like new possibilities. And I think that, you know, Mercury getting that nice sextile with Jupiter will be good for, um, finding opportunities to move forward when you probably thought that getting closure was more important than, you know, finding new possibilities. So, that might feel good for people. I like that. I like that. I'm 
I'm excited about it. I I wonder if it'll feel just as long as it felt last year. Remember last year when we were all complaining over the summer about how it just felt like Mercury is, was never going to leave Gemini. But some of that was also because Mercury never retrograded back in the Taurus. It really was in Gemini the entire time. <laughs> Yeah, it was Gemini the whole time. The freaking North Node was there. They were like, it was just too much. It was too neurotic. And it, yeah, I mean, I feel like this one will feel a lot better because, you know, it's the first time that we've had Mercury and Gemini like direct and fully through Gemini without the nodes there in a couple of years. So it'll probably feel less, you know, neurotic and more you know, ideative, like, so you can think about stuff. No, that's a really good point about the nodes. And that was in the midst of, therefore, the eclipse season, where the eclipses were still in Sag and Gemini. God. Yes. Glad that's over so people can stop pretending to be armchair experts. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, boy. Uh, um, anything else on the current astro weather before we move into announcements? No, actually, just like enjoy the last few days of Gemini season before the sun moves into Cancer. Agreed. So... I think for announcements, um, well, do you actually do you, you should start with what you, yeah, why don't you start? Okay, so I know this is like months in advance, but um, I'm one of those unlucky people who, for the past however many years this has been happening, uh, Mars retrogrades seem to like being in my perfected houses. So, as you know, later this year, there is a Mars retrograde in Gemini. And uh, what I started doing during my last uh, Mars perfection year, uh, you know, where Mars was retrograde in Aries, <laughs> was I decided to take hiatuses from uh, readings because, you know, Mars does roll my ninth of astrology. And during those times, I tend to focus on you know, grad school, because I am a grad student. Um, but then also, I focus a lot on learning or communicating astrology rather than being a consulting astrologer. So for people who have recently joined my mailing list, or people who have been long time returning clients, you might want to book with me before late August, September, I know Mars doesn't go retrograde till um, what is it, October 31st, or something like that. But I just feel like for this particular retrograde, I really need to tap out a little bit. So if you want to book a reading with me, please do that this summer. I will probably send out like proper dates on my mailing list. So you can go to my website, australtour.com, join the mailing list because there's probably going to be like, I feel like maybe during the moon and Sag, like full moon and Sag, I'll probably send out a newsletter or something so stay tuned for that yeah. uh i did teach a like a workshop on uh triplicity it's like an extended version of my um 2021 fresh voices uh summit talk um i did that for astrology toronto literally on my birthday <laughs> this mm -hmm. year and uh i so if you bought the recording from them but never got it just email me and like i'll send you a copy but i'm also thinking about like putting that on my website at some point later this year um but yeah that's all in terms of announcements for me great for me my readings are still on hiatus but one thing um 
is that I do, I never had like an official mailing list and now I have that on my website. So my website's still up, it's paustrology.com. And so if folks want to get on my email list to find out when I'm going to be doing readings that or when I'm going to reopen them, you know, you could do that because that's where you'll first find out. Um, I've been thinking a lot about whether I would want to start doing like really jumping back into like astrology research um, to build up to a point where I can do like a workshop or a lecture. But I've got to really like, I think I've got to start first to just like kind of getting back into the like source materials and like reading through and just like getting some inspiration on like exactly what I would want to talk about. Um, this podcast has been nice because it really has kind of really kind of kept me sharp and like up to date. Like I've really been enjoying this Joy series. I love the Deccan series. So, um, but yeah, I've, it's been on my mind lately, like opportunities to do more like workshops or lectures. And I think our last announcement <laughs> is that we were both on the astrology podcast on um, the most uh, like recent episode on the sign of Taurus. Yes, that was a nice um, end to my Taurus perfection. So uh, if you are coming from, you know, the astrology podcast, welcome. Uh, if you haven't checked it out, I think Pow and I did a great job on um, exploring the archetype that is Taurus, but I feel like Chris does a really good job of um, choosing guests to talk about each of the archetypes of, you know, the signs and the planets. And so I think the Gemini episode just dropped recently. Or oh, it did? I haven't checked it out yet. Okay, maybe it hasn't dropped yet, but like I know for patrons, I think it's um, like, so if you're subscribed to the Astrology Podcast Patreon, it should be out. Uh, oh, okay. so everybody should check that out when they get the chance. Um, yeah, it was a great opportunity. So I'm excited too, especially after we had just done ours. Cause even when we were recording ours, I had listened to the Aries one with Rick Levine and I would, even I noticed just kind of the differences between our styles and what we talked about. And then people in the comments on our video were noticing it too. Of my, one of my favorite comments is people just talking about how much more calm and soothing we sounded. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> oh, that's funny. Even though like, you know, I, I don't know about you, but as, you know, someone who also has like four planets and fire signs, I don't feel like I have any chill whatsoever same same yeah i <laughs> soothing was like the last word that would like come to mind for me but no people were replying back to us on twitter and on youtube being like no like you're really soothing <laughs> and i had in real life friends too who i i shared the same thing with who were like no i don't think you're as like <laughs> no chill as you think you are which i think is also just like having earth like rising and moon <laughs> yeah like i mean hey it's a high compliment so thanks guys <laughs> yes thanks everyone for listening and as mo said if you're new to our podcast because you found out about us from the astrology podcast or some other way like welcome we're glad to have you and we really hope you enjoy this series on the joys that we're currently on which I think is, this is a good segue, right? Into talking yes. about our topic today. Okay. Yes, our topic is the, you know, heavenly, illustrious, laughter-loving Queen Venus, um, who has made her, you know, joyful appearance delayed, but like fashionably. Uh, I don't know, like, I'm going to let you start because, you know, Venus rules your ascendant. 
(laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's fair. Um, Well, before I jump into it, because we might have a bunch of new listeners and, you know, even for folks who may have forgotten, if you should listen to our very first episode on the joy of Mercury, because in the before we even jump into Mercury, we do a much more in-depth discussion of what the planetary joys even are. So um, if you're very new to the joys and want to first listen to that, you should, and then you can come back to this episode. <laughs> and um, and you might also even want to listen to what we discussed in the episode between this one and then that first one, which was the moon's joy in the third house. Um, but just to even quickly recap that, We discussed last time that the moon's joy is in the third house and that both the moon and Venus are, they're both grouped with the four, like, like, okay, the moon's joy in the third house and Venus joy is in the fifth house. They're both, um, you know, flanking this fourth house. And so they're in this same angular triad, the fourth house angular triad, which is associated with the element earth. And, you know, Uncoincidentally, Venus and the Moon are both triplicity lords of Earth. So um, it's not, you know, I would argue it's not a coincidence that Venus and the Moon are both, when you look at where they're joying at and the houses that they joy in, they're both in, the, you know, the kind of the same side of the of the chart. They're in this bottom half of the chart. Um, on that, Venus is a nocturnal side uh, sign, and so um, or sorry, nocturnal planet. And all the nocturnal planets do um, joy on the bottom half of the chart. That was one thing we discussed in our first episode, whereas the diurnal planets joy on the top half of the chart. And yeah, today we're going to discuss the fact that Venus's joy is in the fifth house, which is a succeeding house. I'll touch on that in a bit. And, you know, just some background on the fifth house, because, you know, we're both traditional astrologers. Um, the how the fifth house was called the house of good fortune, which in Greek was I don't know how I'm gonna pro- if I'm pronouncing this right, but it's agathe tuche, and the root word agathos meant good, fortunate, lucky, useful, and then tuche meant fortune, fate, act of God, and interesting also like an act of a human being, and. It's worth noting that the opposite house at the fifth house, the 11th house, is called the house of good spirit. So you have good fortune versus good spirit. And that's where Jupiter joys. So we'll have a whole episode on that. But so that means you have both of the benefic planets joining on this fifth house, 11th house axis, like opposite of each other. And the other thing of note is the house of Mars joy, which is the sixth house, is called the house of bad fortune. So again, Venus in the fifth house is the house of good fortune. Mars in the sixth house is the house of bad fortune. That'll be our next episode. And, you know, we could go on about just the, you know, Mars, the opposite of just like Mars. Mars and Venus, like, you know, they rule um, signs that are opposite one another. And then they also have this... Um, dichotomy here too, like ruling the house of good fortune versus ruling the house of bad fortune. Yeah, no, I I like that you brought up this uh, opposition. It's not really an opposition, but kind of between the 11th house versus the um, fifth house. And so that for me is just bringing up the um, mind body or the spirit material dichotomy. And so 
if a lot of you who are familiar with more of the, I guess, Hellenistic doctrine is that, you know, you have the concept of fortune, which is more about material circumstances uh, versus spirit, which is more of this um, more intangible, seemingly permanent, um, I guess, essence, if you will. And so I feel like that kind of can bring about this uh, contrast that uh, Venus has with Jupiter. So Jupiter embodies a lot more of these like philosophical, um, spiritual, um, a little less concrete um, forms of uh, what benefics have to offer. So it's funny because a lot of times Venus and Jupiter get conflated with money or things that have value. But I think about Jupiter as you know, like that wealth and what that means for you, maybe socially. And we'll get, we'll touch upon that in that episode, which is coming like way later. Um, but then like Venus describes more of this like tangible, maybe um, sort of pleasure that you can experience maybe with the five senses. And you don't necessarily need like this wealth to kind of, I guess, experience some of those things. And I, I know, I can't remember which astrologer has said this, but um, you know, if you're really involved in the um, astro Twitter or just like astro community on social media anywhere, I think that there are a lot of people who've pointed out that there's something about Venus that involves like more of this like embodied sort of joy or beneficence that isn't really necessarily captured with Jupiter. So, you know, like the joy of, you know, having like a nice blanket or eating a nice meal is different from I don't know, rallying behind a cause or like having like a deeply religious experience. I mean, they're not mutually exclusive, but those are just different ways of thinking about it, I guess. I I, I really like the way you were worded that, just like the difference between like the embodiment versus something that's just like a little bit more of like just like higher, like this like higher kind of spiritual level almost. Because, um, like... Because I, I had written in my notes, you know, when I, um, when I was like early in my like cons consulting, sometimes I would describe the fifth house as like embodying like or involving like what you desire versus the eleventh house being like how society shapes it, and even I think that can be kind of oversimplified. Um, but but when I kind of take a step back and try to like kind of think about it even more, like. Because oftentimes, right, and you can probably relate this as well as any other people who see clients, like you oftentimes like are getting people who want an astrology reading because um, it's not that they're fully, fully lost. Sometimes they are, but there's a lot of questions about like, what is it that I really want to do? Like, what's the best career for me? Like, those are the questions that tend to really arise in these readings. And sometimes I'll bring up the fifth house because I sometimes I'll think like, yeah, this is like what you really, really want. Um, that can sound really vague, but when I do, when I think about it more, especially after you've, you've talked about the embodiment, like if I were to like kind of really hone in on like fifth house, like things like that, the kind of desires that fit in there, that would be me, I think like really kind of sitting and like closing my eyes and like meditating and just like really feeling like in my body, like what is it what I, that I really, really want, like in this present moment, whereas, um, I guess Jupiter 11th house type things can be sometimes more of like a calling and I think can also it, like 
I think something too about the 11th house versus the 5th house is the 5th house is in that bottom part, part of the chart that's like way more private, whereas the 11th house is in this public like top part of the chart. So I do think sometimes the 11th house can often involve things like we're expected to, you know, want um, or go after. So I love that you brought that up because I think a lot about like the uh triplicity lords of houses is um you know dividing up subtopics and sometimes if you look at the first triplicity lord of the uh 11th house because it's also the houses of you know hopes and wishes you know things you aspire to right um the first lord is said to describe what a person really wishes for in this life whereas the second triplicity lord of the fifth house describes you know the pleasures that the person i guess sort sort of indulges in and so uh when you think about it like that there's just sort of this interesting um i don't know there's this interesting thing that happens because sometimes the things that you want that like you know you can derive active um pleasure from are very different from you know, maybe the things that you aspire to in life. And it's funny because um, both benefics have their joy in uh, succeeded houses. And I know that Austin Coppock has this nice, I guess, sort of, I don't think it's really like a mnemonic device, but it kind of is. Like you can think of different groupings of houses, right? And so if you group the houses that are all angular or in that square aspect to each other, they all kind of have certain themes so you know the angular houses one four seven and ten all say things about i guess they're like different facts about your life that like they're the angular parts of your life the parts where there's like the most like change so you know who you are where you're from who you're with and you know um what you do versus like the things that follow that and those are described as um the resource houses so the succeeded houses and so that's just like an interesting thing to think about because if you look at the other two succeeded houses, which I think we're going to do like an episode on, they don't have planets that join them. It's just the fifth and the 11th, which is really interesting. So I think that that automatically brings about this association between the benefics and their ability to bring wealth, but also to sustain um, people and, you know, I guess in the case of Venus, because it's following, I guess, like the root of the chart, which is the, you know, the IC, the anti-culminating house. Um, it's like providing, um, I guess, sort of sustenance for like where you're coming from versus, um, you know, what Jupiter is doing in the 11th, providing sustenance for your reputation. I really like that. And, um, you know, all this to say, we've been saying since the beginning of this series that, it, you know, when you really look at the Hellenistic tradition and just the, the original sources, it it really appears that the joys help define the meanings of the houses. It's not the other way around where these astrologers figured out what the houses meant and then we're like, oh, and then these are the planets that joyed in them. It seems like it's the other way around, which is why I think this series is so cool because it just it's it's helping me even just have like a deeper understanding of the house meanings by first understanding where each of these planets are joining in and yeah eventually we'll get to some episodes where we're also talking about the ones where planets like the houses where the planets don't join at all um so on that let's talk a bit more about the meanings associated with the fifth house um I would say the first one that you know people often hear, the first a traditional association is children. 
and um yeah I, I don't know if you actually you have some notes in here so maybe you can touch on that yeah no and oh my god so i need to get this book so if you guys haven't heard demetra george um has recently released her second volume of ancient astrology and she actually did an interview with chris brennan on his podcast and i remember when i was doing um you know, prep for the times we thought we were going to do this episode, I remember listening to that recording and I was being struck by um, her describing the difference between how the modern astrologers talk about house meetings versus how Hellenistic astrologers talked about house meetings. And they did talk a little bit about how, um, you know, the joys that formed what houses meant and Venus's association with children, um, which a lot of people kind of don't, re I feel like a lot of people take it for granted. So one thing I will say is both benefics are associated with children, believe it or not. Um, we'll talk about Jupiter in a little bit, but like, like, well, not in a little bit, but in the next episode. <laughs> but um, so basically what she was trying to say is that um, there was this element of wealth or prosperity being associated with, you know, um, how many progeny you were able to have, because if you think about that angular triad, right, of the uh, fourth house, because that is a house of, you know, legacy and endings, just like uh, the eighth and the twelfth, but the fourth house is actually an angular house, which makes it not as scary a place, but just as like weird and kind of dark, <laughs> you know? So um, what's interesting is that a lot of people associate Venus with wealth and status, but it's like, if you were someone who had a lot of children, because children also didn't we didn't have advances in health and what have you like, so people had lots of children because many kids would not survive um, past childbirth or even like young childhood. So if you were able to have a lot of children to carry on your lineage, which is sort of that, like what the fourth house represents, that was seen as a form of wealth, uh, which is interesting because wealth in, as in terms of legacy and passing on your genes is something that a lot of people, I guess, because we don't have the same, um, I guess we don't view like family or the structure of family the same in, you know, modern Western culture. Um, so it's really interesting. And then on top of that, if you're familiar with um, the body parts that uh, different planets represent. So um, in the Western tradition, Venus is associated with, you know, the female reproductive organs um, the egg, um, the uterus, whereas in the Vedic tradition, Venus is associated with semen. Uh, there's that connotation of children that is very, um, very synonymous with Venus. And so uh, another thing that uh, Demetra talks about with Chris is the evolution of Venus's role in terms of being a, having a function of connoting child rearing or the ability to procreate versus um being associated with pleasure which is something that like evolved um so yeah i need that book so bad but I, the shipping cost is like what's getting to me but i will get it i will get it um yeah i literally was just talking about wanting to like do more astrology studies so i should get on that this is a good reminder but on that, one of the other associations that the fifth house has is sex, which on its face, you know, like we just talked about children and, 
you know, you need, you tend to need to have to have sex in order to like create children. And so that, that part makes sense, but I do think there's more here to unpack. I, um, I'm not sure if you wanted to share just some of the, the Valens, um, like what Valens has had to say about the fifth house. Hold on. Let me, okay. I'll read that. So, uh, this is from, I can't remember who's, I think it's like the Riley translation. It's on the internet. You can literally type in Valens Anthology and you'll find the PDF. <laughs> so this is our like um, favorite source to consult. So what Valens says is, if the benefics hold the ascendant or a lot of fortune, the native will be great, will lead the masses, and will make laws for them. Venus will be especially gracious if it rules the ascendant or the lot, especially if Venus is in its proper face, i.e. Deccan, or in its own place. It makes men wealthy and honored. The same is true for all the stars. If they govern the ascendant and or the lot, they produce good as good that is appropriate to their nature and to good fortune. If Mars happens to be situated as specified, men will be rulers of all sorts of places, governors, tyrants, and masters of life and death. Not only over lesser men, but also over men of, hold on, I have to like find the rest of this. But basically they describe the positive influence that comes from this place. Um, I mean, what's interesting is that, um, I think it's interesting that they talk about like being wealthy and honored because with our chart examples, you will see a lot of that. Um, but I think we should read a little bit about the meanings of Venus because I think that some of it will make sense. And there are some meanings here that a lot of people, um, a lot of people like kind of gloss over when they talk about Venus. Yeah, yeah, definitely do that. And this, this is also from Valens, right? Yeah, it's also from Valens. So Great. Venus's desire and love, it indicates the mother nurture, makes priesthoods, school superintendencies, high offices with the right to wear a gold ring or a crown cheerfulness friendship companionship the acquisition of property purchase of ornaments agreements on favorable terms marriages pure trades fine voices a taste for music sweet singing beauty painting mixing of colors both in embroidery dyeing and unguent making venus makes inventors and masters of these crafts as well as craftsmanship or trade or work in emeralds precious stones and ivory Within its terms and degrees in the zodiac, Venus causes men to be gold spinners, gold workers, barbers, people fond of cleanliness and toys. It bestows the office of supervisor of weights and measures, standards of weights and measures, markets, factories, the giving and receiving of gifts, laughter, good cheer, ornamentation, hunting in moist places. Venus gives benefits from royal women or from one's own. And it brings very high rank when it operates in such affairs. Of the parts of the body, it rules the neck, the face, the lips, the sense of smell, the front parts of the feet to the head, um, the parts of intercourse. Of the inner parts, it rules the lungs. It is a recipient of support from others and of pleasure. Of materials, it rules precious stones and fa fancy jewelry. Of fruits, it rules the olive. It is of the night sect, white in color, very greasy in taste. So as you can see, like there's a, there's this association with, I guess, like luxury, but also like there's this focus on like design and um, like the creation of things that are beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. 
And even as you're reading that, you can definitely see Venus and Taurus and even Venus and Libra, right? Like the fact that there's just so much about weights and measures just made me think of like yeah. the, the scale that's associated with the Libra. Yeah, it's like, okay, how much how much value does this thing have? Like, what is this thing worth? Uh, I also felt like there was a subtle undercurrent of like Venus and Pisces, like particularly where there was the talk about friendship, companionship, um, you know, hunting in moist places. Um, <laughs> it, it, just, it just was really giving me like Venus and Pisces. It was kind of funny. Um, yeah. Yeah. But like, I feel like the part that strikes me is the, the priesthoods, school superintendencies and high offices. Like a lot of people don't realize that. Um, like, I feel like when people think of Venus, they just think of like really strikingly beautiful people um, who have a lot of resources or, and just enjoy luxury. But I feel like there's this subtle undercurrent of, you know, being in a position of power to determine what is valuable. Um, whether that's, you know, what social decorum we should be adhering to. So what is a like school superintendent or principal there to do, but like make sure kids are well-behaved and performing to adequate standards of academic and social like, performance um and priests like what are they there to do but you know um get people to um be on board with like the social ritual of whatever um you know spiritual or re religious practice that you're a part of i feel like there's that part of venus that kind of gets downplayed because a lot of people don't realize that um venus is just as much about um I guess sort of like the rules of social engagement, like what kind mm -hmm. of brings people who maybe don't have a lot in common together and like what can make interactions between them more pleasant. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I I know you put in the notes that the fifth house also gets associated with messengers and emissaries. And I I think that fits exactly what you're talking about that, you know, Venus, Venus is connection and can be like these people who do can play these connector roles, like an emissary. Um, you know, in horary, there are many folks who, for example, in questions on real estate, a real estate agent would fall under a fifth house category, like because that person wouldn't quite be a seventh house because they are this intermediary between a buyer and a seller. Right. Um, versus a very, very, when it's a direct buy and sell negotiation, that is first house versus seventh house. So I found that really interesting that there's many astrologers who would look at um, ruler of the fifth house as the real estate agent, if you were like doing a horror reading about a right. sale. And like, I feel like there's also this association with, um, I know because there's some associations of the fifth house with like gamb gambling and speculation, right? And um, I feel like a lot of that is associated with like, there's just this sort of like gamification sort of entertainment sort of uh, quality that is also there in the fifth house that I feel is kind of understated when it comes to Venus. Cause these are things that, you know, entertain people and bring them together. And I feel like it's kind of, especially in the case of like, whether it's like betting on stocks or um, gambling or whatever, there's this, they're like these like subtle things about like, how much value can you extract out of like this game or this situation? 
and when you said like somebody who's like making a deal for some reason i just think of like the person like when you're like playing a casino and like you have the person who's like dealing the cards or something and it's like I don't know like it's like you're playing against the house and not necessarily like other players but like it, it's just weird like I just thought of that <laughs> no that's a, that's a good point and um you know on that again the fifth house is called the house of good fortune right and so Venus's association with fortune I think really shouldn't be slept on so absolutely games um gambling speculation are definitely going to be in this territory um Gifts is another thing that I've seen associated with the fifth house, again, for I think kind of just similar reasons. Um, and then I would say that I think the one last category we haven't touched on too much yet is arts and creative pursuits, which, you know, as you're reading off the, the, that description of Venus, like Venus does get associated a lot with art and beauty. And, you know, even on the topic of creative pursuits, um, you know, sometimes like, yeah, if children fall under here, right. And children are this creation kind of coming out of this like fourth house, um, angular house into the succeeding house. Um, yeah, I could see why, well, like, you know, it's not just children that we create. There's just like all sorts of this creative, um, projects that, um, are, you know, creations that we can make. And, I, I'm excited to go into the chart examples because there's definitely a lot of examples of that, at least from the ones like I had listed. Yeah, no. Um, another thing that like I so it's not mentioned in the like the way Venus is talked about here, but just because Venus is a social planet, like I've noticed that regardless of the essential dignity of uh, Venus, there was sort of this like there's this magnetism that people with um, venus in the fifth house have because this is a house that is trying from the ascendant right um and if you're somebody who's familiar with vedic astrology i think they place a lot of emphasis on the trinal houses from the ascendant so the fifth house and ninth house are said to be two of the best houses aside from like you know that the house of the ascendant so um, I just think it's like interesting because the way that i think about houses that have a trine relationship to each other the ninth house and the fifth house along with the first are houses of identity and um, self-expression and you know venus is sorry <laughs> the house where venus joins the fifth um can describe um sort of a way that you can um i guess express yourself like it's a it's one way that you can affirm your identity through the creation of beautiful things or doing some kind of performance or um just trying to like have these like shared experiences where people can um i guess experience wise having like certain things or doing certain things is valuable uh and i feel like that would be like for the sun episode we're eventually going to do that would be like an interesting like contrast point because these are houses where you know um mercury venus and the sun joy and you know those are the planets that are probably the closest to each other um, and, you know, Venus and Mercury can only get so far from the sun, right? And so um, I guess they kind of inform different ways that you can, uh, because they're the two planets that are the closest to the sun, Mercury and Venus, um, they can kind of like inform the ways in which we are trying to, um, I guess, articulate or project our like 
like this entity that we're trying to become, because that's one way you could think of the sun, uh, like the, the thing that you're trying to develop into. And so Mercury's like, you know, the brains behind why you try to do that, maybe like the actual logic and articulation, whereas Venus is like the, the relational um, experiential component, component of that. Right. So it's like you have the soul essence and then you have Mercury, the mind and you have Venus, the um, Venus is sort of like the feeling, like the heart of that. I don't know. That's just the way I think about it. I like that. Um, is there anything else on Venus's drawing the fifth house that you that we missed or do should we go into examples? No, I'm ready to dive into some chart examples. All right, let's do it. And you can, you can start us off with, um, so, uh, you know, as we've been doing them, we've been doing them in zodiacal order. And so we'll start first with people who have Venus and Aries in the fifth house. So who's your first example? Um, so <laughs> my example, so one thing I will say is that sometimes this isn't always true. Obviously, this depends on a lot of other factors, but something I've noticed with Venus fifth houses, they can either be people who have a lot of spouses or people who have a lot of children. And so um, my first example is somebody who um, kind of has that. So Bob Marley, he's an Aries one uh, Venus. Uh, so he is actually considered the like father grandfather of reggae music. And he pioneered reggae as um, we know it by mixing elements of ska and rock steady. Um, what's funny is that um I think of that Aries one Venus of like constantly having to like reinvent itself. And like, it's like a Venus that's ruling his 11th house, but also his sixth. So he had a group that would eventually become known as the whalers, but they were constantly having to change names and like constantly changing because like people would like leave the band uh, and things like that. And also one thing that I thought was funny is that he actually had like a lot of children. I think he had like 11 children total or something, but yeah, and then uh, my example of someone who has married a lot of times is Liz Taylor. So she has her uh, Venus and Aries too. So a lot of the roles she got um, were because of how strikingly uh, beautiful she was. So she didn't really have success as a child actress because people thought she looked too mature. But by the time she was like 15 or 16, so approaching her fifth house year, she was starting to get recruited for more adolescent and adult adult roles so she actually filmed her first mature, mature role when she was 16 um in this film called the conspirator which didn't release until like she was 18 so even so like so what's interesting is that if you do advanced perfections um every like Holstein house can come to a sign where its ruler is so that year the ruler of her 11th which i would say certain elements of like mass media is associated with would have met its lord in the fifth so that venus and um it was also during her one of her fifth house perfection years that she was in this other film called butterfield um eight where she played a high class sex worker and it was um and despite her um hating the role it was a high grossing role and it earned her an academy award so like unfortunately and i feel like this is where the um the debilitation of her Venus by sign um, played out. So like while she had some successful grossing films, like a lot of them had to involve her not liking the role or her being hypersexualized. So that's just one way that played out for her. 
Wow. Um, my my first example is actually someone who has never got married and didn't have any children, but you can still see the fifth house significations pop up. And I, I I've seen I've seen on a few examples like this of like okay if they don't have like children or marriages like they definitely had like other creative outlets. And my example is Michelangelo, the painter and sculptor from the Renaissance, and. He is, um, first of all, he's a great example of an amazing artist with Venus in detriment, but in its joy, and it's in um, the third decan of Aries, so it's also in its own decan, and so it's a, you know, it's a Venus in detriment, but clearly it didn't, um, didn't negatively impact his art. He's considered one of the greatest artists of all time. Um, you know, I think it's interesting that he he especially excelled at the portrayal of the male figure, you know, his most famous, of course, being the statue of David, although um, his statue called the Pieta is like a really good exception. He completed David at the end of his fifth house year. He was 28 years old and it was installed in his sixth house year, which is what his his Venus rules his sixth house and I also do think it's really striking that he's known especially for his sculptures. Like, even his paintings are very sculpture-like. And to me, um, the act of chiseling to make art, like chipping away at a substance, you know, in this case marble, to create something, that's to me, screams Mars ruled Venus. It's like this beautiful combination of Mars and Venus. That's amazing. Uh, I don't have any more examples for Aries. So we can jump to Taurus. Um, so like, sorry to disappoint everyone with like Venus and Taurus. I just couldn't find any, um, like with the Astro Data Bank research tool, like I just couldn't find any really compelling, like familiar <laughs> contemporary um Taurus Venus example. So one of mine is actually Dave Franco, who has a Taurus one Venus. And so what was interesting is that he actually wanted to be a teacher for creative writing, but instead he was guided towards acting and I think screenwriting instead. And so I think it's just funny that he ended up being a performer. And I also think he's married to another actress as well. I think he's married to uh, who Alison Brie or something. Like what's funny is that they decided not to have kids though. So yeah. <laughs> My my only I, I, the same thing I I struggled to find a good Venus and Taurus example, which is funny because Venus is in Taurus right now. But Ariana Grande I thought was the best one that I'd found. So she has Venus in the third decan of Taurus here, and during her fifth house year, that was when she released "Thank You Next" and then also called off her engagement with Pete Davidson, who's now back in the news um, because of his relationship with Kim. But that's a whole other story. Um, <laughs> Yeah, Thank You Next is a funny song because it's it's an ode. It's a positive ode to all of her exes, right? And just thanking them for like what she had learned. And so um, I think that's really interesting. And, and then Ariana Grande herself is a very like... She's a very fascinating example of Venus and Taurus to me. And even as you were talking about Liz Taylor, I was just thinking a lot about how like... Ariana Grande is like not the first and only um like Disney like star who started out as like a child star and then got like weirdly sexualized but still kind of like even as like a full grown adult now like still has kind of these like odes to you know her like teen past like on Nickelodeon but 
she's definitely not the only one, but she is the one who I think gets talked about the most when people talk about the hypersexualization yeah. of these former like or sorry, she, I don't even know if she's Disney. She's Nickelodeon. So I know it's, it's one of those. Thing, same thing, honestly. Same thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but no, uh, another thing that I think about is because she has like the Angle Taurus three um penis is that a lot of you know like she's been through a lot and um i think about like i think it was that same year she called off her engagement that uh mac miller uh, overdosed as well yeah yeah and i think uh not too long before that there was actually the um i think it was the manchester bombing at her concert and so like i know that i can't remember when she did like i think she had like another I think it was like she did a tour or something. I can't remember when. And she came back to Manchester and did a concert like for them or she like performed like at a benefit concert for them. So I feel like there's this like, like her ability to like go through these like really difficult trying relationships, but also um, what's it called? Like having these like really transformative, almost traumatizing like events in her life has still like, I don't want to say it's like influenced her artistry because it like doesn't like she doesn't write songs like directly about it but kind of um so I could kind of see that with her um but yeah sorry guys I just could not find like examples that you'd be like I know who that is (laughs) yeah same um that was the only one (laughs) I could think mm. of um all right so let's just do Gemini Venus then. I I think your your examples first. Although I I mean I have I have done a number of random wiki readings about Wallace Simpson. Oh my god. Okay, so for anybody who loves keeping up with royal drama, so um Wallace Simpson, the infamous, uh who married Edward the what was it the 6th or the 7th? I can't remember. But he was supposed to be king of England and What's funny is that her uh, Venus is in the fifth. So she actually didn't have any kids either. Um, and which isn't surprising because classically, if you consider certain roles, um, people who have like, what is it? Leo, Virgo, Gemini <clears throat> on the fifth, um, the sun or Mercury in the fifth and like stuff like that are like deemed classically infertile. I think she has like all three of them or something <laughs> actually. <laughs> Wait, let me look at her chart real quick. Because I know she has the sun. She has the sun and she has a... Yep, she's got all three. So Mercury's oh there. Boy. The sun is there. She's got Gemini. a fifth house. Yeah. No kids. Okay, makes sense. But what's funny is that... Um, so the sun would be her um, seventh house ruler. Like, yeah, it's a DD rated time. But like, just based on how things have gone for her, I, I believe the chart. <laughs> and it's quite literal because she has the sun... Uh, anoretic in Gemini and she has um, Venus at what is it 23 degrees of uh, Gemini in that third decade of Gemini and it's all about killing the bad twin right (laughs) you know you can't do both things and I thought it was really symbolic and loud that um, one she's an actress like from a foreign country and she was kind of demonized and vilified for basically making her husband choose between the monarchy and being married to her so I feel like that Venus sun conjunction in her fifth is symbolic of marrying somebody um, and basically them giving up their position to be in a relationship with her. That feels quite um, loud to me. But what's funnier is that I think they both had to go into exile, um, which is kind of like just because of their political leanings. So I think it's also bringing about that like 
ninth house, fourth house, like sun, like combustion, like ruler going on. So like, yeah. Um. <laughs> my my only I, I also struggle to find good examples for this, but um, the soccer player Lionel Messi has um, his Venus here conjoined to his moon. And he's one of the best soccer players of all time. And it just makes me think about, again, Venus's association with games. And that could include sports like soccer. He doesn't... Okay, he has three kids, which isn't, like, extraordinarily much. But he just had the last one in 2018. And, you know, as you know, professional athletes go, he probably is going to end up having more. <laughs> so... Um, and those are just the ones we know about, right? Who knows? But that's um, that's all I've got to say about Lionel Messi. I'm not a soccer fan, unfortunately. I don't have too much more to add in, about his um, Venus and its joy um, in his chart. So something that I also noticed, this will come up with an example I have uh, later, is that, I mean, in his case, he's like a really well-performing athlete. But I yes. find that there is a, uh, there's a likability that... Um, people who have fifth house venus have like i think depending on you know the dignity of the venus obviously like your mileage may vary but there's this like likability or like captivation that you have that um other people just don't get away with and i feel like lionel messi is like universally um you know well regarded like yes the skill is there obviously but you know he's well regarded like by a lot of people throughout you know the soccer world and i guess just like he's considered like i would argue like one of the greatest athletes of all time but that's just me <laughs> that, that okay that's a really good point because that's so different than so many other soccer players of his caliber who are also clearly really good athletes but not as well liked or are constantly in the tabloids um for negative reasons like cristiano ronaldo is like one Name <laughs> uh yeah yeah <laughs> so um oh my god what's the name of what's the name of shakira's husband they weren't even married like uh what's his name gerard piquet like yeah not married no they were never married at all oh my god so, anyway yeah. that's when people were like they're there no they were never married <laughs> oh well anyway <laughs> but yeah Lionel Messi you're right he's just no one ever really talks bad about him he's never really in the tabloids he's just you know he he's won like not on top of his soccer accolades like he's been voted like times like 10 100 most influential people like huh. yeah um th yeah that's another another subtle thing I've noticed about Venus in the fifth house like enjoy like it's like people who have this like they have this like weird appeal that just um it's like say what you want about like messy but like like I, it, people respect him i feel mm -hmm. they really mm -hmm. do um compared to other um players and i feel like he might be regarded you know like especially after he retires as well as you know players like pele and so on yeah and um, even, you know, the appeal is a really good word because even, you know, your example of Wallace Simpson, I do have examples like this as well of like even people who aren't very, really well liked or were unpopular, but also for whatever reason, it's just like people still can't stop looking away. Like people who like at the time really wouldn't, were nonstop yeah. talking about Wallace Simpson. But she was also very strikingly beautiful as well. So yeah. like, there's that. Like, I mean, you just can't look away and there's just like this investment in 
um, you know, what they're doing. And, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm going to share my only Cancer Venus um, example. And so this was Nipsey Hussle. He was um, a Cancer to Venus. And I really like this example because it's really capturing that, like, um, that second decade of Cancer. And so despite, you know, being somebody who has, you know, a history of being in gangs and what have you, uh, he did actually use his personal experiences with the culture to um, write in his music um, about like denouncing certain elements of it and trying to bring people from different like gangs or rival um, groups together. Um, he used a lot of his, uh, he also had like a lot of um, entrepreneurial spirit. And I thought it was funny that he would use, cause he has the ruler of like the third and the eighth together in the fifth. And so I thought it was interesting that like he used his like music and maybe some of like his more traumatic experiences um, growing up, like to like kind of revitalize his neighborhood. And I know that, you know, before his really untimely and unfortunate death, like he was working on a lot of like community, like, you know, building projects, whether that was, you know, trying to, you know, create spaces for, you know, youths to hang out and do things or like, you know, create like summits for people to, you know, people who have like a lot of beef with each other to, you know, come together and, you know, to protect each other. And so I felt like that was very, um, symbolic and i thought it was really unfortunate that you know um i think it was like what happened so it was um it was the year so like literally right before um he was killed um he was actually supposed to i think it was two gangs and i don't know if it was like law enforcement or something but like they were all supposed to have like a i guess sort of like a round table like a few days before he died so um you know, he was just known for doing a lot of stuff like that. So, and also I thought that it was interesting that right after he started his own label, um, during a second house perfection year, he had a series of projects he released with a bunch of other local LA rappers during his third house year. And he, you know, after collaborating with Drake, um, and then, uh, Rick Ross during that third house perfection year, just, you know, gaining a lot of traction. So I thought that was, um, a really nice version of that cancer to venus in the fifth example yeah on that i if for those of you who've watched um rhythm and flow which is this netflix reality show that had basically it was like american idol before rappers and um but nipsey hustle was on that as not a judge but he was like they were showing just some of the um you know the school that he had like built and was showing just some of the mcs that he was training but i think that was one of the last things that he had done before he was killed and because like in the show of course they kind of give a tribute to him yeah but like i i really hope that you know some of the things that he was trying to do get like you know followed up on because it's good stuff yeah for sure i don't have any cancer venus examples but i have two leo venus examples and my first is ariel gutman who is another astrologer like us she's a contemporary astrologer who has venus and leo in the fifth house in the first second of leo um with pluto co-present and I found this really exciting to see because she, the thing that um, that Ariel Gutman's most known for is Venus Starpoint, which she wrote a book with that same name in 2011, I believe. And 
has a, there's an astrology podcast episode on it for those who are interested. And um, her, so that that book, as well as just this concept, focuses on Venus's synodic cycle, um, which is shaped like a five point star, hence the name. And yeah, a lot of her work really has centered around Venus. I think her website is like Sophia Venus or something like that. So um, I thought it was really interesting to see an astrologer with this fifth house Venus and have it play out like that. Oh my God. Also, like, I will say, like, I think I bought one version of uh, her book on like her ebook on uh, the Venus star point. It's so compelling. And I think like in addition to, you know, other astrologers like um, Palace Augustine and um, Nick Dagan Best, two people I know who study like synodic cycles, like I know Palace, they work a lot more with Venus specifically, but Ariel Gutman was like another one of my like key like sources that I went to for that. And I feel like you should like literally go look at her website if you haven't. Yes, look at her website. Check out the astrology podcast episode um, that she speaks on too, because I think I think it's very, very, very compelling information. My other example is Tessa Thompson. She has Venus and Leo um, in its joy, but in the third decan. And you know, I was looking. I was looking at her biography, and though nothing really big, big happened in her acting career during her fifth house year when she was twenty eight. She was in Tyler Perry's For Colored Girls in 2010, so like the year prior, and it was like every subsequent year after that, she was just like doing something like it really kind of like kicked her off into doing just more of, you know, acting this creative work. And so I'm very curious to see what will happen for her because next year she'll begin a fifth, another fifth house year. Um, and so. Oh, yeah. that's exciting, especially because we get the Venus retrograde in uh, Leo next year. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that'll be it'll be exciting. And I mean, the other thing about Tessa Thompson, she's also someone, to my knowledge, who doesn't have children um, and is not married, but she's she is extremely private and has said so. And there have been rumors for several years now, like at least since 2015, about her and Janelle Monet. <laughs> not just her and Janelle Monet. Like uh, I think most recently, she was speculated to be in a like threesome with uh taika watiti and uh rita ora yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i that's that's just something i found in some examples even when again when even when folks don't have um children or multiple marriages um sexuality or in sex will definitely kind of come up and with her i remember she i think it was like around 2018 where she like I think officially said like that she likes both men and women but doesn't identify as bisexual so of course that you know kicked up a bunch of conversation about like well what what are you then if you're not oh, you like men and women how how Leo know. three how I Leo know. three stirring up controversy I know <laughs> <laughs> so yeah oh, those are my Leo examples my god speaking of people who are no stranger to controversy so one of I, I guess both Virgo Venus examples are mine so these are like I think this is the first of our examples where um Venus in joy is, or is this our only example? I think this might be our only example where Venus enjoys really the ascendant. But um, anyway, uh, so Joe Rogan, <laughs> who has his uh, Virgo to retrograde Venus conjunct Pluto. Um, 
what's funny, so Venus is ruling the first and the sixth. So what's funny is that he actually wanted to be an athlete and kicks boxer or like martial artist. And he was doing that when he was younger than a comedian. But like, I think in his young adulthood, he found that he had a knack for it. And I feel like this is just that mercurial ruled Venus, like coming through because my second example also has like experience, particularly with like comedic acting. Um, so in his first fifth house, or sorry, in a fifth house year of his in 1995, he was cast in this series called News Radio. Uh, what was interesting is that during another one of his Venus activations, so during his 12th house perfection year, when his uh, sixth house lord met its ruler in the fifth, he actually became a UFC commentator, which is what a lot of people know him for. And then like during a later um, sixth house Libra perfection, he actually properly launched the Joe Rogan Experience podcast, which is now, unfortunately, um, <laughs> one of the most um, popular podcasts like ever. And so... I feel like this is where the like Venus and fall ruling the chart, but also like being the benefic of sect, but having triplicity and having all these like subtle dignities, like being in turn, being its own decan is really like working for him. It's like, okay, he's very polarizing figure, but like, um, you know, like he has enough of a like group of people who are supporting like what he's about. And so, Yeah. Yeah, I <laughs> I always forget that he's a Taurus rising right with me, and I'm like, this is he's such... a Libra moon too, like, oh I, which is shocking. Like, <laughs> like you know what? I actually have seen some episodes of the Joe Rogan Experience. I think I saw the one, I saw snippets of the one where I think he talked to Kanye about his run for president. But then I saw <laughs> when he had Elon on, and then he had somebody else on. Like they were the ones where everybody was like have to see what he's talking about like because it's yeah. just, like, the person he's inviting is so controversial um and it's like i understand it's like okay now i understand how he has a lot of like venus influence because you know he has the taurus rising and the libra moon ruled by the virgo venus it's like i understand now like i get it yeah um, yeah, I just think it's it, what stood out to me as you're just kind of like talking about his chart and his Venus being here is like as someone who is a Taurus rising too, like I totally get having just like multitudes of just interests interests, and the fact that this man has like somehow monetized on them, like he's known for like if you were to ask like random people like how do you like who like how did Joe Rogan first become famous? Because now I think he's most known for the podcast, but like people will yeah. say different things. Like he was the host of Fear Factor, uh -huh. he you know UFC, he used to be a fighter, blah blah. blah. It's just like he was oh. a comedian, like you know, <laughs> yeah. it's really giving like Merc Mercury rolled Venus. And I also think about like his role as like a like a UFC commentator and how a lot of that has been like translating towards his, like, I guess like you could say, say his podcast is like kind of like a social critique almost. Yeah. I don't think he, because he's the Venus world figure. I don't think it's necessarily him like critiquing because it's also coming from this like mercurial, like I've noticed that mercurials and Saturnians do this thing where they're like not quite playing devil's advocate. Like, but sort of and then like because he has the venus like influence like he's not necessarily taking like a hard stand on anything but he's just like what are people about like and i just want to see what they're gonna say and like comment on stuff oh and that's exactly it like his critics um are upset that he gives platforms to you know people who are just wrong <laughs> and yeah. but his supporters are people who are like 
no, he's just, he's just, it's, he's not saying they're right. He's just like, you know, open to hearing all these different points of view. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I get that, but you're also giving people a platform. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. Um, It's it's a, yeah. (laughs) And so, yeah, no, it's, it's just really interesting. Um, And so I think, no, I think he either finished a, Libra perfection like a year ago and I think uh there was all this controversy with um you know like the COVID stuff and like uh yeah I think he just finished like a like a sixth a sixth house perfection year so that Venus would have been active and uh this was back in like 2020 slash 2021 ish where like people were getting upset with him for oh like you're promoting this that and the other with COVID you're not like and how people were starting to like be really critical of his podcast and um, things like that. So I, th- I thought that was really interesting and it'll be interesting to see what happens. Like, you know, as the South node goes through Libra <laughs> next year um, and, you know, uh, eventually moves through his fifth house the Did, two years after that. Was he still in that sixth house year when all of that stuff was coming up around um, just him using, you know, racial slurs? on air over and over and over again no wait 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 i think he moved into the seventh house year i can't remember i can't remember i i think i think he had switched years but yeah yeah anyway i'm done talking about joe rogan (laughs) (laughs) next example is tracy ellis ross um and you know a lot of people know her from girlfriends like so she actually secured uh that role in one of her fifth house years um but before that i think it was the same year where she was like starting to like really come up so like she had a role in diane keaton's film hanging up and she was a regular on this like hip-hop comedy show on mtv called the lyricist lounge show um and like literally like that same perfection year it was like okay now she's in girlfriends um playing joan clayton (laughs) you know everybody's problematic um and I just just feel like you know her having her chart ruler in Virgo 3 is just speaking to her role as like a nepo baby a little bit <laughs> just because of the legacy piece um oh yeah yeah, yeah I, I it is it is funny that that's the role she is most known for and she you know it's a show about girlfriends like it's like literally the title it's about these like and and you know it, this is like an early 20 2000 show right and so it's like these professional successful women who are also struggling though because they can't have a dog because they're struggling to find a man yeah <laughs> it does make me think a lot of, well the, the fifth house like or you know it's it, venus joins there which is what we're talking about and yeah venus venus does signify women and so it's it's to me it fits that this was her kind of breakthrough rule yeah another thing is that you know she has a lot of ties to like you know the fashion industry and like right after she did school um before she like started acting um i know that she uh used to do a lot of like you know fashion work whether it was like you know working for small publications like critiquing or just her like doing small modeling so like there is that part of her job that shows up another thing is that um she is one of two of my examples where it's like a parent has this joy um 
And then like the kid has the joy. So her mother has the joy in the opposite side. And we'll talk about her later. <laughs> Great. Yeah. I, I remember looking at her chart while I was watching Girlfriends. And I remember on top of her Virgo stuff, she has Libra. She's a Libra, right? Re- a Libra ruled by this oh. Venus and Virgo. Something like that. I just remember oh, seeing please. both. I just remember seeing both in her chart, and I remember that this coming out so much in her character, um, Joan Clayton. <laughs> like, um, just right? Being... She's a Libra. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. And and yeah, <laughs> I, her character amongst other things. But I remember one of her little. I lied. I lied. She's a Scorpio. She's um, a Scorpio. She has the Libra Mars. She has the Libra Mars. Okay, that's what it was. Cause yeah. yeah, I just remember that constantly coming up with her character like um everything from like the little things about like her kind of being like oh like just super super type a about her home um but and then also like constantly like trying to avoid confrontation (laughs) yes oh my god like her role on um blackish literally (laughs) it's like the same thing Oh my god. Um, do you want to go into your next example? Because you also have the next one. Okay, I decided to make this my only Libra Venus example because, like, yeah. I mean, my other example would have been um, Rose McGowan, who had her uh, Venus in Libra 3 uh, conjunct Uranus. And I feel like a lot of that shows up in her, like, activism for um, women and, um, you know, against, like, sexual assault and you know her support of queer people as well um though it has gotten her into some controversy (laughs) um but i feel like a better example is uh will smith who has uh his venus in the third decade of libra as well but it's conjunct his chart ruler mercury and so obviously he's a major force in hollywood i we would be sitting here all day talking about like how this is mapped on to all of his achievements um he's got hello awards he's egot nominated um and what's funny is that like he got his uh breakthrough in uh like i guess like acting like obviously he had been on the fresh prince and you know he was rapping but like to be taken more seriously as an actor uh when he was cast in independence day that was actually during a fifth house perfection year um it was one of the highest grossing films of all time like at the time it was released um and that was also the year where he starred in men in black the first one and it was for that particular film that he made his first um i guess track as like a solo rapper um when he was in a 10th house perfection year in 2001 so that activated his mercury which is conjoined his venus he played muhammad ali which gave him his first i guess like academy award uh i think he got his first academy award nomination but he won the golden globe for best actor um for his portrayal of muhammad ali and then uh this is a funnier one because uh in 2003 uh when he was in the 12th house perfection year so also activating the venus (laughs) which is conjoined as chart ruler. Um, he, he came back for the second edition of Bad Boys, which was released in 95 originally. Despite how much critics hated it, it was a box office success. Like, so many people went to watch it. <laughs> you know? So, like, um, well, I, and then, like, how old is Will Smith right now? Like, he's 
53. Yeah, he's 53. I just looked it up. Um, He's in that sixth house year. He's in the sixth house year. Okay, but like, I wonder when he shot um, King Richard because he just got the. um... Yeah, I know, like, that's probably not the best example right now. (laughs) You know, like, um... oh, sorry, guys, we're never canceling Will Smith. excellent example of this like of having venus and its joy because there there have been a lot of people (laughs) in hollywood who've said you know in his early career like pre-muhammad ali apparently will smith was known as like he just wasn't that good of an actor and he had kind of gotten um cast type you know because of fresh prince and so when he would get roles like he would only agree to them if his team would be able to rewrite the script so that it would like kind of really fit with his personality and that 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 typecast and clearly he stopped doing that after like i i really think muhammad ali was just kind of like the turning point for his acting career where he really started um you know taking on different kinds of roles and started winning like a ton of awards so this is not shade to like will smith like he's clearly proven himself to be an excellent actor but it also just shows like how he you know that libra venus in its joy it's like he had a really good team also yeah but you know what i'm also thinking of that libra three venus i feel like it's and like with his chart ruler conjunct i feel like one it speaks to the versatility of his range like Mm because he can be completely not serious as we've seen, but you know, as he's gotten older and has been in his acting career a lot longer, he's gotten a lot more serious. And I thought it was funny because uh, he also, I remember there was that stretch in like the mid 2000s where he was doing a lot of films with uh, his son, uh, mm-hmm. Jaden. And I just think that, you know, having like, you know, the ruler of your chart and your 10th house conjunct the ruler of your children, like, and doing like acting with them, I feel like that's pretty loud to me. Yeah. I agree. Um, I have the next two examples for Scorpio Venus. Um, actually, no, you have one too. But I'll, I'll do mine first. So Carla Bruni has um, Venus and Scorpio in the fifth house in um, the second decade of Scorpio. <clears throat> so she's an Italian French singer and model who um, is married to the former French president, Nicolas Sarkozy. Or Sarkozy. And when she was in, when she was 28, which is a fifth house year, that was her last year um, where she was really focused on modeling. She went into music after that. And it was another fifth house year when she was 40, when she came out with her third album and her music career got like a lot more prolific at the time. Like she started getting a lot more public appearances. That was also the year that she married Nicolas Sarkozy. And then I think one thing um, that like really stood out to me was um, as first lady, she spoke out against the extradition of a woman who was convicted of murdering an Italian police commissioner, but had been living in Paris since 1993. And her husband's administration had arrested her and prepared her for extradition back to Italy for this um, alleged murder. But she spoke out against it, and eventually Sarkozy chose not to extradite this woman. And so that that kind of stands out to me, just like this woman with this Venus in the fifth house, just kind of standing up for, you know, a, another woman who she doesn't know at all. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. Uh, so one example I have is... Um, 
Jake Gyllenhaal's father, um, Stephen Gyllenhaal. And it's interesting because um, Venus rules the fourth house. And so I didn't know this about the Gyllenhaal family, but they're descendants of like Swedish nobles or something. <laughs> and if you look at like notable members of their family, you'll see, oh, heads of state in Sweden. You'll see people who do like news. You'll see people who are in film. You'll see all of them. And right. And I thought it's interesting that, you know, with the fifth house representing his children, like both, you know, his son, Jake, who also has Venus and Joy <laughs> and um, his daughter, Maggie, uh, are award-winning actors or nominated actors. Um, so that that's interesting. Um, he's also directed TV episodes of a number of TV series such as Numbers, Army Wives, Twin Peaks, etc. Like his list is pretty long. And I thought it was really cute, like coming back to like the the fourth house ruler thing going on in the fifth and like Venus and Joy in the fifth having to do with children is that um, he had directed um, Jake during like Jake's like early career in acting. I think Jake was like a teen or something and he was on some like NBC show or something, but like he got to direct his own son. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll talk about Jake Gyllenhaal's um, chart in the next um, set of examples for Sag Venus. Cause yes, he does have that planetary joy too. But my, my last Scorpio Venus example is Marie Antoinette. So she has Venus and Scorpio in its joy in the second decan and it's conjoined to the sun. And I mean, she's, she's literally the face of the aristocratic frivolity that led to the French Revolution, which it's like her fifth house Venus ruling that 11th house is like the societal implications that her like personal bouginess <laughs> had caused it's not just hers either but definitely hers um like you know even with just like the whole thing that happened with the affair of the necklace and like all of that um you know one th I, I know like way too much about Marie Antoinette because I had to do a biography project on her in like eighth grade and like I somehow retained a lot of this information but um what people tend to be surprised about is like, you know, one of her, first of all, one of her most fav famous portraits is by an artist who's done many portraits of her, but it's um, by this artist named um, Vigie Lebrun, who's also a woman, um, which is rare at the time. But anyway, the, the, the portrait was painted in her fifth house year, and it's one of her most casual portraits versus, you know, the, the, the Marie Antoinette we often see is like where she's wearing all the fancy regalia and the powdered wigs and the stuff that was the fashion at the time for royalty. But in this um, painting, you'll see her in like kind of, she doesn't have any of those like kind of layers at all. It's kind of like this more softer chiffon dress and she's like holding a flower and she really tried hard to popularize that look. Like she really wanted that to be the look of the court, like something that was like a lot more simpler that like, you know, getting rid of all the powdered wigs and she got like so much pushback um from the aristocracy it clearly didn't take oh. hold till after the revolution of course oh my god no i love that because i feel like for another example that i have later but it's like it, it's funny because like i think some of that's like the scorpio venus like the debilitated venus playing yeah. out like it's like oh like you could be the tastemaker but not in this like like naturalist way and i feel like because she's what like a scorpio three she's scorpio no, three she's oh, scorpio, scorpio two. two which i also think is funny right because i the, the uh, fact that she wanted to kind of go back to something simpler i think that's <laughs> i think that screams that scorpio too 
But I think it's also like symbolic of like that decade because it's like people fighting for creative control, right? Mm-hmm. And she's really trying to like push this. It's like, okay, you're allowed to be a tastemaker, but you were typecast, right? Mm-hmm. And you have to like do it. And I feel like an example I have later <clears throat> is like the exalted Venus version of what happens. So mm-hmm. I, I thought it's funny that like, you know, the taste making and trying to like, you know, bring back certain silhouettes is really interesting. Yeah. Um, I think my last points on um her is in that same fifth house year. Um, sadly, you know, she actually didn't live long enough to see another fifth house year. She died quite young. But when she was 28, she was also another thing that was big for her that year was she was really instrumental in nominating two ministers. So I think that fits like the, what we were talking about earlier with like the fifth house being emissaries, like those two positions she helped nominate were are definitely those kind of roles. Wow, that's that's loud. <clears throat> I really like that. Yeah. Um, and then that's that's all I had for Marie Antoinette. Um, so we could go on to the Sag Venus examples. Um, and these are both of mine, but I'm sure you could chime in too, Mo. But my first one is Tina Turner. So she has Venus in Sag three. And, you know, at 28, again, a fifth house year, she became the first female artist and first black artist to appear on the cover of Rolling Stone. Like, that's pretty wild. And it was also the same year that her and Ike signed with Blue Thumb Records. And that was really the beginning of their mainstream success. Um, You know, they had been performing for like quite some time up until that point, but they really like kind of hit the mainstream. Then, you know, and then eventually, of course, she launches into her solo career um yeah and then you know at 64 which is also a fifth house year that was when she released all the best and that's her highest charting album in the u.s um so i thought i thought that was pretty cool no that's that's pretty iconic yeah do you know when she was because i know she was recently inducted into the the rock and roll hall of fame i don't remember what year she was in though (laughs) i don't remember what year but um yeah and this is technically her second time getting inducted which is unique because it was her artist yeah because her and i got inducted um it wasn't I, I look i did look this up this didn't happen quite on the fifth house year but she um they did get inducted like in the early 90s and ike was in jail and she was like i'm not going and so um phil specter i think accepted their award for them oh, so i got it yeah but i'm really glad she got inducted as a solo artist oh yeah me too yeah yeah um my next example is who we, we already talked about is Jake Gyllenhaal. And he has Venus in that first decade of Sag. And um, and also in Sag, he has the Sag Stellium. So he has Mercury and Neptune conjoined, um, but in the third decade, along with the sun. And Jake Gyllenhaal is known for like a number of different roles, but Brokeback Mountain is one of the most notable ones. And that got him his only Academy Award nomination. And, you know, it was a really big deal at the time. It was like one of the first just mainstream portrayals of a gay couple. And surprise, surprise, tons of rumors then start coming out. People start talking. It's like, oh, Jake Gyllenhaal, bi, or is he actually gay? And yeah. it's just like, what after? Like, what are you talking about? Right. 
I mean, but isn't he, does he also have like a reputation as like a, kind of like a playboy anyway? Like I, I think about like the fact that he also dated Taylor Swift. Yes. <laughs> and she's wrote some um, songs about him. <laughs> yeah, he definitely, yes, yes, definitely. Yeah. He was with Reese Witherspoon, I believe was like the relationship right before Taylor yeah. Swift. Something like that, or I may be completely wrong. It's some, it's some blonde actress, some famous blonde. Like, doesn't matter. Um, and then he's now with I, mean, I think it's a supermodel who was who I didn't recognize, but that's his current relationship. But yeah, Taylor Swift is definitely the, uh, the more well-known, notorious ones. Um, but no, I don't think he has children. I no, know he of. doesn't. He doesn't have kids. Yeah, his. Um, and just one other thing to know is that um, his sister, Maggie, was in Donnie Darko with him. And, um, you know, his fifth house, Venus, rules that third house. And there's plenty of family relations in Hollywood, right? But I do feel like the Maggie and Jake as siblings thing is, like, one of the more well-known. Like, yeah. I also love that it's also uh, Venus ruling the 10th as well. Yeah. True. True. Um. All right, those are my examples. Do you want to share your Cap Venus example? Yes, this is like one of my favorite examples. Yes. <laughs> Miss Dolly Parton, who brought us, you know, the COVID vaccine. Thanks, Dolly. Um, and, uh, you know, Jolene, nine to five, I will always love you, all that stuff. So obviously she's a very heavily awarded country singer who eventually had a, you know, after kind of not doing as well, in the 80s like had a good transition to like more pop contemporary like adult music um but i thought it was funny that during her 10th house perfection year um which would have activated her mercury which is co-present uh with um her fifth house venus um there was the debut album hello and dolly which launched her like uh country career um i think about the fact that um venus rules the ninth house um in her chart and i think about certain elements of like culture and she talks about how some of her um influences in early music come from folk songs passed down from you know various like welsh british isles immigrants to what's now known as appalachia on her mother's side um and you see that in a lot of her early songwriting um it's funny because like when she was like in her early teens, so when she was 13, she would have been in a second house perfection year. And that's when she started performing for small labels. She performed at the Grand Old Opry and she got to meet Johnny Cash. So I thought that was pretty um, <laughs> loud. Uh, and then uh, she won, I think she won her first Grammy in uh, 1978. So she was in a um, fifth house perfection year uh, when she won that award. So, I mean, she's done so much other stuff, but I also just think it's like, really a testament to um you know her endurance as like a like a fixture she's also like a prolific songwriter and she's wrote so many like um good songs and i feel like that was uh, an early um part of her talent that was like um well observed and i think that in the what late 80s early 90s she was like known as one of the wealthiest country singers like ever I think um, what's interesting with Dolly Parton is she herself had never had children, but she has 12, I think 11 siblings. 
and so and ha- really helped raise a lot of her nieces and nephews and then she's the godmother of miley cyrus who yeah. also is venus and capricorn yeah i i, I think that's uh, really interesting and it, it's it's just really interesting how like she like her relationship between like you know other younger artists and things like that has like kind of replaced the need for her to have like lots of children and i mean she's been married to the same person like forever and we like don't see him so i i think it's really funny <laughs> <laughs> yeah um no that's a great example i love dolly parton um my example for cap venus is walt disney so he has Venus in that third decan of Capricorn, um, and also he also has a Capstellium. So he he's also got Mars, Saturn, and Jupiter Wait. in Capricorn. Is he a is he a Saturn Jupiter conjunction? Um, I ooh, that's a good question. Let me just like look that up real quick because that is um worth knowing because like it would explain a lot about the chokehold that like disney and his whole organization has had on it used to just be american pop culture but now it's global (laughs) yeah no he's got um he's got saturn at 14 degrees and then jupiter at 15 degrees okay so it's conjunct yeah wow <laughs> yeah oh my god yeah so he's so he's got this conjunction you know just this this fifth house um capricorn stellium that includes venus and its joy it, it he, it's just the epitome of capitalizing on joy in childhood right and and then as you said like not only is this like it's not a u.s brand this is a global brand and business and the fact that it's just been around now for this long and just for many many years to come I'm sure is just wild to me in in terms of like you know his biography he you know in in um when he was really really young 16 so that was like his um that was a fifth house year for him he forged his birth certificate so he could join the red cross um be involved with the you know the world war ii effort and but that's when he started at this point he had already been taking drawing classes like he was already known he already knew he had a talent for art and um had a real passion for drawing but he was starting to get his cartoons published in the army newspaper and then in other like fifth house years um you know i i found it interesting that like in 1954 was when he secured funding for Disneyland and really began marketing the concept of Disneyland in his cartoons. And then the year he died, like what he was working on when he died was he was planning on doing the funding for Disney World, um, but then unfortunately died really quickly from lung cancer. And, you know, when you were reading those balanced significations of Venus, Venus rules the lungs and Walt Disney was a very, very, very heavy smoker. And so, um, you know, unfortunately, this this vice, you know, led to his death. But yeah, um, it's Walt Disney. Oh, that's quite, that's quite loud. I, I didn't even notice that. <laughs> wow. Um, I, so I'm going to share my two uh, Aquarius examples. Like, I couldn't find some that were like, very like wow it's so out there but so this one is alain de rothschild so he's a member of the rothschild family uh so a bunch of rich really rich jewish billionaires in europe (laughs) um and so he is an aquarius 3 venus so it's venus as his chart ruler in joy 
Um, so, uh, so he is, you know, a French Jew. So like he was very involved in the, um, uh, like the Jewish community in France, especially like after the Holocaust. And so he served as the president of the Conservatoire de Paris. So that's like the conservatory for like all the arts, except I think acting because they, I think at some point before he was like president, uh, they split off for their own like school. Um, so like, that's a big deal. Uh, and then, um, so because he was so involved in Jewish life, so he was a part of the, pre he was a president of the French consistory, which is like, I guess like the organization that codifies all the like rules around the religious rights of like Jews in France. So um, kind of tying in those like head of priesthood, head of school, like type things. Um, yeah. So I, I just thought that that was a literal uh, manifestation. And so my second example is Danica Patrick, who has um, her chart ruler, um, uh, Aquarius Venus in uh, the second decade. So she's someone who's known for being like a very visible woman in uh, racing, particularly NASCAR racing. Um, and I thought it was interesting because when I looked at her bio, she spent a lot of time of her like active driving career um, being like between different um, like racing streams. So like <clears throat> for those of you who don't know a lot about cars like myself, but like I know enough to like know that there are different things like there's the indie series, there's NASCAR, there's Formula One. Um, and what was funny is that during her, um, uh, like, I guess her first fifth house year is like a, like a teenager slash adult, like in 1998, she dropped out of high school and moved to the United Kingdom for a bit to train under a Formula One racer so that she could advance her racing career. But <clears throat> she met a lot of opposition in the UK because she was one, a woman and two American. So I think at some point she moved back to the U S cause she ran out of funding to like stay there. And began her career like towards like NASCAR and like the indie series. Um, and uh, I think it was during another, like a later um, fifth house perfection year that she, there was speculation that she was going to become a formula one racer. But by that point she had decided that she was too old to switch. Um, and, you know, despite being like not the most successful and having a lot of um, like failures getting started up, um, just because her driving style wasn't necessarily compatible with the series that she was um, racing in. Um, she was still uh, well-liked by a lot of fans um, and was consistently voted like the most popular, I guess, racer between like 2005 and 2010. It's interesting because she just started her fifth house perfection year again. And I know she retired uh, two years ago, so I, I don't know what she's up to now, but it's it's interesting. Uh, yeah, I remember at the height of her popularity, it was very interesting to just see how she got often labeled as a sex symbol and she really didn't like it. And yet, like, you know, Victoria's Secret and, you know, not not Max so much, the FHM, Sports Illustrated, like all these magazines were constantly being like, she's the sexiest woman, you know, putting her on the sexiest woman list. And, and, 
a lot of her biggest critics were men who were like, she's not like the right like feminist icon because she's like, you know, trying to be sexy in this like male world and that's how she's getting ahead. And it was just like kind of like, man, it's like funny. you were real mad. Some people liked that though. They're like, oh, she's not trying to be a man to like, which is like weird, but you know, like it's like, oh, she's like just trying to be like a girl doing guy stuff. And it's like, okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right, right. Which, I, but that that to me, it fits. It totally fits Aquarius and Aquarius too, especially you know, like kind of like, um, trying to like on one hand, it's just so Saturn, and that it is just something that's just kind of like this very very traditional sport, but also kind of doing it and just her being a woman in itself, like doing this was very different. Yeah, and her trying to like really like break into the right like racing. Mm-hmm industry and like i don't know i also feel like some some of it speaks to like the trying to like break into one version of racing versus like being more accepted and having a better time integrating in another form of racing and so i know she's retired (laughs) from you know race car driving but you know i am curious to see like if she will you know like consider giving it a go again hmm i i do wonder because well she's in she she, she's in the fifth enough fifth house year again right yeah she just started it yeah Yeah. cool yeah um so the last but not least examples uh pisces venus these are two of my examples uh so diana ross is a pisces two venus um, she's a well-decorated um, solo trio duo <laughs> artist in terms of like having charting hits. Um, and yeah, so I thought it was funny that um, during the early start of, you know, her uh, time in the Supremes, first they were the Prenets. And apparently this alleged ex-boyfriend of hers had connections to Motown and it was through him that um, they were introduced to some executives at Motown. Uh, which eventually like led to their commercial success as a group. And it was funny because like after she started pivoting towards more of like a solo career, like it was during her fifth house perfection at age 28, she won a golden globe, but was nominated for an Academy award of her portrayal of Billie Holiday in Lady Sings the Blues. So I thought that was um, one interesting version of like how those Venus activations were coming through for her. Um, and then my last example is Christian Dior, uh, a Pisces two Venus. So it's interesting because he's someone who has always had like collaborative partnerships um, with learning design. So I know that at various points of like his early start, he was working with um, Balmain and like under some other guy to like, you know, do designs. And I think the two of them together had like a collaborative partnership where they like would sell like Picasso's art or something <laughs> at some point. Um, and then what's interesting is at some point in his career, this wasn't during, um, this wasn't during a fifth house perfection year, but I thought it speaks to like the ruler of the seventh being in the fifth, like, um, there was this one like i guess mentor patron who really wanted him to relaunch like an old fashion house and dior was like no fuck that like i want my own fashion house i don't want to redo someone's shit <laughs> but the person ended up giving him money to start what we now know as dior anyway 
And what was funny is that um, a lot of the styles that were popular, like, you know, um, during like war, you know, like in the twenties and like post-World War II and during World War II were more of those like boxy silhouettes. And Christian Dior brought back a lot of these more curvy feminine, you know, like physiques that became really, really popular, especially like, um, you know, after the war. And um, it's funny because he got a lot of flack from people like, you know, Coco Chanel, who was like, oh, like, this is a person who isn't even a woman and, like, wants to be one, but, like, doesn't understand what looks good on women. But still, like, you know, Dior became really, like, the fashion house that he started became really, like, influential regardless. <laughs> Despite, you know, like, what other critics in, you know, the fashion industry had to say. Um, and he brought, he kind of brought back older styles, like, in, like, they're not new, but they were, like, falling out of fashion. So I thought that was interesting. And then, finally, during a fifth house profession year of his, um, he received an Academy Award at 50 for best, sorry, at age 40 for um, best costume design in this, I guess, film or short called The Terminal Station. And I think when he was 52, so he would have been in, a, like, a fifth house perfection year. Um, I think he was mentoring Yves Saint Laurent and announced that Yves Saint Laurent would be like the next heir to his like fashion house because he ended up dying of like some kind of cancer. I can't remember which a few a few years later. So yeah. I um I don't have anything to say about Dior, but even on Diana Ross, um I think it's also worth noting she she had five kids, one of them being Tracy Ellis mm -hmm. Ross, who we just yeah. discussed earlier as another example. But um yeah, another example is just someone with a lot of kids and a lot of like I mean she was married twice, but like also just had a lot of like just very like a lot of well known lovers as well. So yeah. 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 Right. Wild. <laughs> um, I that wraps up our examples. Is there anything else we need to discuss for? This? No, I mean, like, so I don't know. I just felt like you know, despite having a lot of like, I don't, I don't feel like we had like very like. I feel like our sampling was very broad. I, I was expecting more like, you know, like the same type of person but like even with our examples for people who are like actors or singers or designers like they still had like their own little i don't know there were little subtleties that were like nice to see it was cool but i guess i felt like this one definitely had like a lot of ex more examples of just creatives yeah um, versus like yeah there's like a there's like royalty here and there, um, but actually, really, did we list any politicians? Really, I don't think so. No, which is funny because I think we—that's usually <laughs> where um, a lot of our examples come from. Um, like our, and then yeah, our royal family examples are you know, it's like who married in? Yeah, who married in exactly? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Um... But no, I, I feel like also just people who've gotten like nods or awards or people who were allowed to be tastemakers very yeah. much like Venus and Joy. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. All right. I guess that's it then. Until next time, our, um, our next episode will be on, yeah, Mars is joining the sixth house.
Yeah, and that's going to be a fun one. So we'll see you guys then. <laughs> see you, everyone. Bye. Bye.